بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ جنائف از دا ایٹینتھ آف مے ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی تھری الحمد للہ وی موو آن of the eminent companion, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu And I've reached the point where during the battle of Uhud, the archers who were situated at the base of Mount Uhud made the error of leaving their post. And then I mentioned that the two mobile wings of the unbelieving Quraysh had stood firm. Sayyidina Khalid ibn Walid radiyallahu was watching motionlessly like a hawk looking onto its target at the prevailing situation now looking at the fleeing Quraysh now at the plundering believers now at the archers so Khalid ibn Walid he was in command of the right wing of the cavalry of the unbelieving Quraysh he's focusing upon three events one is the his own army's fleeing The second is the believers are plundering, i.e. the spoils, and he saw the archers move. Out of the initial 50 archers, only 7 to 9 remained in their position. Sayyidina Khalid radiyallahu immediately struck. He launched a mounted attack against the few archers who remained at the foot of the mountain with the intention of capturing this key position. and thus creating for himself room for maneuver. Sayyidina Iqrima saw the movement of Sayyidina Khalid and immediately followed suit and galloped across the plain to join Khalid's squadron. So the two wings of the unbelieving Quraysh have combined now. The faithful seven to nine archers who had remained in their posts resisted gallantly would eventually fell one after the other. Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Jubair, the Amir of the Archers, defending the position with our beloved messenger had given to him, وسلم, suffered many wounds and was then martyred by Sayyidina Iqrimah. The combined cavalry were now thus in full throttle and within no time, swooped upon the rear of the unsuspecting believers. Indeed, such was the ferocity of the counter-attack that our beloved Messiah would have been blessed with martyrdom if it was not for the direct divine assistance. So how do we know? In Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, number 5713-5740, Ibn Kathir, Sira, volume 3, page 37 of the English translation, Sayyidina Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, he said, At the battle of Uhud, I saw to the right and left of Rasulullah two men dressed in white who were fighting fiercely. I never saw them before that and I never saw them thereafter. He was referring to Jibreel and Mikail. So one of the famous companions, one of the Templar of his paradise, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas, the Knight of Islam, he saw and he thought, where have these men come from? 
And what's strange, they were dressed in immaculate white. So this is, is not the attire for battle. <laughs> so the fact that they're white was something strange. And he goes, they were fighting fiercely. Now, what does that tell you? <laughs> they were after the Prophet So they weren't just, you know, defending the Prophet. He goes, they were fighting fiercely. Meaning they were fully locked onto the Prophet And then he later learned that these, these were the two archangels. Those, subhanAllah, with the divine assistance and the superhuman efforts of the noble companions of our beloved Messenger they managed somehow to retreat safely back upon the face of Mount Uhud. However, many of the blessed companions were martyred upon that fateful day, including famously the noble uncle of our beloved Messenger Sayyidina Hamza so now what did I mention? They knew that 70 of them were going to get martyred. So this was the Iman. They knew. Did they know that an error is going to take place? Of course they didn't. They didn't realize that this would be due to an error of the arches. But what's touching is those prisoners of, the, of Badr who were saved I by ransom, their blood, to save their blood, the blood of their family had to be spilt. So like I mentioned, Aqil was saved. He was a prisoner of Badr. But he had to now hear the news that his uncle's been martyred. Now think about that. He had to, Hamza had to pay his blood for his nephews, i.e. to live. And then I mentioned Mus'ab was martyred. Mus'ab ibn Umar. Abu Aziz ibn Umar was released. So the blood of his brother had to be shed to save his brother. So all these beautiful things the scholars point out indicating that this was all under the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he described the cause of the whole scenario thus. He said, the women came behind the Muslim army, finishing off the wounded polytheists. If I would hope that my oath would stand, if I were to swear, that there was no one amongst us at the time who wanted worldly gain until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, I proving conclusively otherwise. And he recited Surah Ali Imran, Surah 3, verse 152. <laughs> Amongst you are some that desire this world and some that desire the hereafter. Then he made you flee from them, I your enemy, that he might test you. So this is recorded in Ahmad in his Musnad, number 4414, is Hassan Li So let's look at this. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud who was on the battlefield, he believed wholeheartedly, he said, I would have sworn an oath. But I was wrong. He would have sworn an oath that not one of the companions wanted anything to do with the world. But Allah revealed what happened. Spoils. You desired the world. And then Allah says, He made you flee from them that He might test you. So Ibn Mas'ud was pinpointing what had happened. Now what's interesting about that, only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what's in the heart. So if somebody was to say to you, these 700 or so companions on the battlefield of Uhud, 
Did any of them desire the wood? So who are we compared to our understanding of Ibn Masood? Ibn Masood, because I would have sworn off, none of them. But Allah Ta'ala said, no, you did. But he didn't say all. Some of you, some of you desired this world. And some of you desired the Akhir, meaning I wanted pure people on the battlefield. And there was a slight pollution there. So what's interesting, he didn't talk about any of the maneuvers. He didn't say this was the brilliance of Khalid bin Walid. This was the brilliance of Ikrimah. Like people start talking politics, right? He goes straight to the crunch. He goes, this was the cause. Now what does that tell you about jihad? If you're not pure, how do you expect the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Like Gunga Din, innit? You know, we want to go out to battlefield. So your heart out, brother, innit? Gunga Din. Indeed, it was when our beloved Messenger had fallen into the ditch that the false rumor spread that he had been martyred. So how does this fit into the sequence? So what happened was there was a shaitan. He was called the monk, Abu Amr. And he was a Christian. And he had so much hatred for the Prophet that he had actually dug a ditch, a small little uh, ditch on the battlefield of Uhud. And he goes, I hope he falls into this. So what happened? As fate would have it, the Prophet did fall into that ditch. So he was away from the eyes of the believers. The cavalry had smashed into their rear. And then somebody called out, Muhammad is dead. I struck him. And the reason that that false rumor spread was because Mus'ab ibn Umar, in his armor, he looked like the Prophet. And he was struck. So the man actually thought that he'd killed the Prophet. So Shaitan caused this to spread. So this false report made the believers react in four ways. The first group, they thought that fighting now was of no use. Thus they left the battlefield. They returned to Al-Madinah to regroup. Amongst this group was Sayyidina Uthman. So what happened? Rasulullah can't be seen. People are crying out, he's dead. So some of the companions thought there's no point fighting now. We need to regroup. So they retreated back to their base, i.e. the city. Amongst those who did this was Uthman. The second group, they retreated onto the face of Mount Uhud. Umar was amongst this group. So some, they got to the Uhud and they didn't know what happened because what's happening? But they wanted to know with conviction what happened. Umar was amongst these. These two groups, this is very important. It is important to note that both these two groups were forgiven. As can be ascertained from the following three verses, during which, after mentioning the failings of some of the noble companions, during that fateful encounter, Allah the Almighty and Glorious thereupon said, so it's true. The companions, they erred, they made a mistake, they slipped. Yes, they could have fallen into sin. That's not the question. The question is, has Allah taken them to task for that? And the answer is no, he's forgiven them. So now we need conclusive proof that these two groups, if a sin had been committed, we need proof that they were forgiven. So Allah mentioned three verses. The Almighty and Glorious, he said, in Surah Ali Imran, Surah 3, verse 152, 
ولقد عفا عنكم والله ذو فضل على المؤمنين but he forgave you never to bring it up again for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is full of grace for, to the believers so after mentioning their failings Allah concludes by saying عفوا عنكم I'm not even going to bring it up again because my grace upon the believers is immense second verse in surah ali imran surah 3 verse 155 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَلَقَدْ عَفَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورُ الْحَلِيمُ And he forgave you never to bring it up again. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is of forgiving the most forbearing. So it looks like it's the same thing. It's not. <laughs> Allah Ta'ala mentions that he will never bring this up again. He's forgiven it. And then he mentions some very interesting things about himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the first passage he says, وَاللَّهُ ذُو فَضْلٍ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is full of grace to the believers. This is part of His grace. In the other verse, He says, I am إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ حَلِيمٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is of forgiving, most forbearing. If this was not all of an assurance, our loving Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala then also enjoined upon His beloved to make dua for them. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In Surah Ali Imran, Surah 3, verse 159, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to his beloved, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, فَأَفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغَفِرْ لَهُمْ Thus overlook, do not bring it up again, seek forgiveness for them. So now, why am I mentioning this? Because those with disease in their hearts, they love this part of the seerat. And what do I mean? I mean obviously the deviants. The Rawafid cause we love Uhud. Because why do you love Uhud? Because we saw the reality of the Sahaba that you love so very much. And then you say, is that all you do? Trying to find fault with the Sahaba. Now you get two reactions to that. One is, they made no mistakes. You're talking rubbish. Response, now you're talking rubbish. You keep quiet. The correct response is, undoubtedly, there was a slip. Undoubtedly, they fell into error. Whether it's a sin, Allah Ta'ala knows best. The Quran testifies to that. Allah Ta'ala explains something happened here due to your, your, your failings. But then you mention the three verses. But how can you mention verses when you don't study Quran? Bole bali Muslims are giving your politics. You say, do you believe in the Quran? Because of course, which Muslim will not say, I don't believe in the Quran. You quote the three verses. Surah 3 verse 152, Surah 3 verse 155, and just to cry off, Surah 3 verse 159. And what's interesting, they're very closely situated, the verses. Within seven verses, Allah Ta'ala has repeated it three times. But he's told Rasulullah to pray forgiveness. For. Why? Because the Sahaba were hurt. They know they made a mistake. Allah Ta'ala reassured them, but because he had great love for them, He instructed his beloved to make dua for them. Because make dua to forgive them. So these are the first two groups. The third group. They now thought it was useless for them to remain alive. When Rasulullah had left the world. Thus they fought with even greater vigor. Amongst this group was Abu Bakr, Ali, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqas and others. Radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. 
So they thought, that's it, there's no point in living, we'll just fight to the death. So one proof, Sayyidina Ali radiyallahu, he said in Nasai, he goes, I couldn't see the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa So he taught Allah, Allah must have taken him up to the heaven, he's upset with us. So he goes, I unleashed, you know, basically I brought my, the hilt of my sword, meaning I'm ready to die. And when I was fighting through the enemy force, I spotted him. <laughs> so Ali was telling you, because I wanted to die. <laughs> so this was the third group. <laughs> While subhanAllah, the fourth group did not allow our beloved messenger to leave the site. Hence the rumor had no effect. And they stood like a resolute rock around him. Defending him even at the cost of their very lives. Amongst this group, Sayyidina Talha is probably the most prominent. So some of them, they actually knew he'd fallen into the ditch. They know he's, he's not, this is a rumor, he's spread, it's a lie. And of course, Talha famously, in defense of the Prophet Sallallahu he looked like he was dead. He literally, the Prophet actually said, he's the living martyr. <laughs> Meaning he's not, he's still walking and he's, he should be a martyr. In turn with the authentic. He only collapsed when he knew the Prophet was safe from the face of Mount Uhud. Others amongst this group were the Ansar. They were bravely defending the Prophet but they were all martyred. And that's it. Any other groups? That's it. The Sahaba fell into these four groups. So the only two groups we need to explain are the first two. But did they flee? No, they didn't. They left the battlefield. Why? They wanted to regroup. Flee maybe is too harsh a word to use. <laughs> Did they make a mistake? Yes. The Quran mentions it. But the Sahaba on Ma'asum, like some ignoramuses point out, the, the companions, they can't make mistakes. They can't make mistakes. The Quran testified they made mistakes. However, the key point is, Allah is protecting them. He will make sure they leave the world with his pleasure. So, this was the battle of Uhud. So now, I'm not going to go into all the details. It had to happen because 70 of them were martyred. What grieved the Prophet too much, was that they mutilated the bodies. He knew 70 of them was going to get martyred, but he was not aware that they were going to mutilate the bodies. The reason they mutilated them was they thought this was vengeance for their loved ones who they had lost at Badr. And the Prophet was greatly hurt over this. And he actually vowed revenge. But then Allah the Almighty and Glorious revealed the end verses of Surah An-Nahl. And then he goes, I will be patient. It was not long after the battle of Uhud, after, that intoxicants finally became prohibited. Jabir ibn Abdullah said, some people consumed alcoholic drinks in the morning of the day of Uhud and were martyred the same day. This is in Sahih Bukhari, number 2815. So this is again, you need to know the sequence. This command of intoxicants becoming unlawful had not been revealed. Some of the 70 martyrs had actually taken intoxicants. Imagine, they drank wine before the battle. And Jabir said that explicitly, radiyallahu. One such soul was no other than Hamza, radiyallahu. And similarly, Anas, radiyallahu, he relates, the people asked, 
Some people were killed during Uhud whilst wine was still in their stomachs. Thus Allah the Almighty revealed Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah 5, verse 93. لَيْسَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جُنَاهٌ فِي مَا تَعِمُونَ On those who believe and do righteous deeds, then there is no blame for what they consumed, i.e. in the past. Surah 5 verse 93, this is recorded in Sayyid Bukhari, Sayyid Muslim, Ibn Kathir Tafsir, Volume 3, page 259 of the English translation. Why? Logically, there's a problem. When the command came saying that intoxicants were haram, they remembered because some of the companions had that and they were martyred. Maybe they're not martyred. So Allah Ta'ala revealed in praise and defense of them, those who believe and do righteous deeds, there is no blame for what they consumed in the past. <laughs> Meaning they don't think like this about your brothers. But who were the ones who brought this objection? It was the mischievous Jews. Now this is what they always do. <laughs> The triumph confused you. It was the mischievous Jews who had inquired about this. How do we know? In Hakim in his Mustadrak 4-143-4, Sahih Zahabi Sahih Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, When the verse prohibiting intoxicants was revealed, Ayah Surah 5 verse 90, the Jews said, Did not your brothers who died at Uhud used to drink it? <laughs> Upon this, Allah the Almighty revealed, Surah 5 verse 93, لَيْسَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جُنَاحٌ فِي مَا تَعِمُونَ And those who believe and do righteous deeds, there is no blame for what they consumed, i.e. in the past. So Ibn Masood again is elaborating. Now what's beautiful about Ibn Masood, notice he's explaining key events because he was the jurist. He knew that people are going to be thinking about these things. He explained what happened at Uhud. He got to the crunch. It was dunya. And now he's explaining something here. He goes, you're probably thinking who are the people who asked. <laughs> he goes, it's the Jews. They asked. And then of course Allah Ta'ala revealed this verse. And similarly, in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, Ma'arif al-Quran, Abu Huraira radiyallahu said, when the verse forbidding the taking of intoxicants and gambling had been revealed, some people asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that there were many people who had taken intoxicants and lived off the earning of gambling and had passed away before they were prohibited. What would thus now happen to them now that we the living know that they are prohibited? Upon which Allah Ta'ala revealed this verse. On those who believe and do righteous deeds, there is no blame for what they consumed in the past. So this adds another detail. Gambling. Gambling wasn't haram. So people lived off gambling, Abu Huraira said. Allah Ta'ala said, don't worry about that. They're forgiven what they consumed of this in the past. And in another report, our beloved messenger explicitly said, had they intoxicants and gambling been made for, forbidden for them, they would also have abandoned them just as you have now abandoned them. <laughs> this is in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, Ibn Kathir's Tafsir, Volume 3, page 257 of the English translation. So this is a hypothetical. Somebody could say, well, how do you know they would have stopped drinking? It's a hypothetical scenario. It didn't happen. But even that, Rasulullah explained. If they had been alive and the command had come, they would have abandoned it just as you have abandoned it. So don't start thinking ill of Sayyidi Shuhada. 
Sayyidina Hamza, Sayyidina Hanzala, and all these other great companions, they would have stopped. But there was no clear verse. So the Prophet said, don't think they would have stopped taking that, that vile stuff. And this is the key. This is the key to how people stop taking drugs. is Iman. You can put them on rehab day and night, they'll go back to it. Right? He went on rehab, then what happened? He's back on it. So the key is Iman. Once Iman, of course, you can't compare to the Iman of the Sahaba. But it's telling you something. The only society on the face of the earth that smashed that vile, abominable stuff, never to look at it again, was the city of Al-Madinah. Think about it. They were heavy into it. You know, they were heavily addicted to it. And overnight, bang, finish. No rehab. We don't need rehab. Where's the rehab mentioned in Sirat? They had to go to a course and the Prophet had to do special du'as for them. Where? Where does it mention it? Right? So, Iman. Unfortunately, if you've got no Iman, then you need to take them to rehab. Right? And this is why it's so important to tell this to the Muslims. Say, look, this is forbidden. It's haram. Right? And if they've got any Iman or a certain level, that should be enough for them. But you do it with love and affection. So, simply put, to finish, before the prohibition, the believers who were martyred with wine in their bodies and those who had simply passed away were excused by no other than Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. Why? It's not just the martyrs. Other sahaba died. They died normal deaths. They were drinking as well. Those are included as well. It's not just the martyrs of Uhud. Though it happened shortly after Uhud. And also just to highlight one proof of this in case you're wondering. The hadith is in Sayyid Bukhari. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> After the battle of Badr, he had a good drinking bout. And then uh, Hazrat Ali was getting married to Fatima and he had been given a camel or two camels from the spoils of Badr. And Hamza had chopped them up. So the Prophet went with uh, Zayd ibn al-Harith who was paired up with Hamza. And he went to Hamza and he said, what have you done? So Alhamdulillah, the report says he was that drunk. He couldn't even lift his head. Because he lifted his head slowly. So the hadith goes, he looked at the feet of the Prophet first. Then he looked at his blessed waist. Then he looked at his face. And he goes, you're only the slave of my father. And then the Prophet left him. He didn't say anything. Why? Because in a state of intoxication, the person doesn't know what he's saying. There's the hadith in Bukhari. Sayyid al-Shuhada said that to the Prophet. So don't come out with, no, 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 this guy's pizza, is it? Even some of that stuff, see what happens to him. Right? So that tells you, you know, what state people fall into. But he was still drinking even prior to Uhud. However, Allah Ta'ala forgave him. Look how beautiful that is. He never knew it was haram. So imagine, inshallah, when you meet him in paradise, it was made haram after your martyrdom. Was it? He probably got, you know, a glass of pure wine in paradise as well, didn't he? Mashallah. As you're telling me. So all I mentioned today was now what occurred at Uhud. I didn't go through it at any great length. I wanted to mention by the name of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud is mentioned. And note he's explaining key incidents that took place so that you don't make any errors. And I mentioned specifically what happened to the companions at Uhud. Why? Because this is a favoured part of the seed of the deviants. You need to know, fully be aware of how to defend the companions of the Prophet are there any questions? 